0: You know, whenever something tragic happens in life uh, that is significant, that affects a lot of people, we often hear a comment, something like, uh, I hope that serves as a wake-up call. In the church world, I hear that um, in terms of Christians maybe focusing, refocusing their life on the kingdom of God first. Tragedy is certainly one of those times that challenge each of us to figure out what really matters in life. Tragedy also tends to bring out a spiritual side of people who suddenly, maybe for a brief time, think about God, think about going back to church, but all too soon, life seems to return to normal. The Apostle John said it this way, and I want you to read this verse with me. It's uh, from 1 John chapter, three, chapter 2. Le- read it with me. This world is fading away, along with everything that people crave but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. That's a verse we ought to memorize, tattoo onto our souls. Since the things of this world will not last forever, it doesn't make sense for us to live as though they do. We've gotta find out what is gonna last forever and then build our lives around those things. Life is short, life is uncertain. And as we have learned in recent years, no one is secure. And there is not a building that has yet to be built that cannot be destroyed somehow, some way. Nothing is more important in this life than building our lives upon eternal realities so that we will be ready to meet the Lord no matter what happens today or tomorrow. And our text today uh, from Galatians chapter 6 challenges us to think about this uh, from the standpoint of sowing and reaping. It reminds us that choices have consequences and that God cannot be fooled. Even though we may fool ourselves sometimes and we may think that we're fooling God, God cannot be deceived. In verse 7 it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, in Galatians chapter six, verses six through 10, there are seven principles that explain the law of the harvest, and these seven principles point the way to true spiritual prosperity and the life that God blesses. But before we begin, I wanna ask you two important questions, and the first one is, what have you been sowing in your life? What are you giving your life and your time and your energy to? What are you investing your life in what have you been sowing? And the second question is, are you happy with what you've been reaping? Are you happy with what you've been reaping? Hold those questions in your mind because we're going to come back to them in a bit. But first, let's look together at the seven principles that make up the law of the harvest. The first principle is this. Wherever you receive spiritual benefit, it is there that you owe a spiritual debt. Look at verse six. Those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. Now it's a very general statement with, of responsibility, but has a wide application. You see, all of us receive instruction in the word of God, receive spiritual nourishment from a variety of sources. It may be from the pastor, it may be from a Sunday school teacher, Maybe from a vacation Bible school teacher, a small group leader, a personal mentor. We may receive help from a Christian radio station that we enjoy listening to or a television station. Many of us are instructed in the Word of God by some of the books we read or the music we listen to. The list is endless. Could be Christian camps, colleges, Bible schools. The point is not where we receive the instruction, but how we respond to it. And if we want to reap a harvest of blessing in our life, we must share all good things with those who instruct us in the things of the Lord. We owe people who have taught us and blessed us a debt of gratitude and love. And we owe them a debt of encouragement and prayer. And some people like to show their support in a variety of ways, and that's that's all good. There are lots of good, tangible ways in which we can acknowledge the good that we receive. Uh, But if we've been helped or blessed by some person, some ministry, uh, Paul's telling us, "Don't don't just be a taker, be a giver. You will be greatly blessed by God and the ministry to which you give yourself will be enriched. Principle number two, you only reap what you sow. Verses seven and eight, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Now, here the Apostle Paul is still thinking about the pathway of God's blessing in the lives of Christ followers. And he uses an illustration of sowing and reaping to drive the point home. The explanation goes like this He says, You're always going to reap what you sow. Generous giving which is a kind of sowing reaps generous blessing kind of reaping And the principle itself is easy to understand if you plant an apple seed you're going to get an apple tree If you plant a pumpkin seed in the spring in October, you're Apt to harvest one of those big round orange pumpkins You can't plant carrots and expect to harvest corn now, can you? We reap what we sow That's true in the spiritual realm as well picture Uh, if if you would a a vast country estate and there's two great fields one is labeled the flesh this is what Paul uh, uses as terminology or our human nature and the other is labeled the spirit and every day we have hundreds of choices hundreds of chances to sow either in one field or the other now, in fact, I think just about everything we do is either sowing to our human nature or sowing to the Spirit of God. There's no third alternative. Every word we speak, every step we take, every conversation we have, even the tiniest decision leads us in one direction or the other. And that includes you know, what we read, how we dress, who we talk to, what we watch on television, what we listen to on the radio, where we surf on the internet. It touches our habits, our leisure time, our secret dreams, the friends we hang out with, the video games we play, the places we lunch, the places we go on vacation, the way we treat our coworkers, the way we respond when we are mistreated, our prayer life, our time in God's word, our giving to God's work, our willingness to help others, the way we discipline our kids, the way we respond to correction in our own life, and our willingness to share Christ with other people. And that's just a part of the list. You see, life is a series of choices every single day, and every choice is either sowing a seed in one of those fields or the other. We sow, we sow to the flesh and we, when we pander to it, when we indulge our fantasies, when we give in to our temper and our anger and our bitterness, uh, when we give in to gluttony, when we shirk our duties, when we lie about our actions or make excuses... Uh, When we lower our standards, when we compromise our convictions, in short, when we do the works of the flesh that Paul mentioned in Galatians 5, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, we are sowing to our human nature to the flesh. But by contrast, he says, sowing to the Spirit means living life in the Spirit so that constantly we're practicing the fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, peace, patience, forgiveness, gentleness, goodness, kindness. It's living under God's control so that the fruit of the Spirit dominates our life, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Now here's Paul's point. We can't sow to the flesh all day long and then complain when we reap a harvest of corruption. What do we expect? When we get angry and bitter and grouchy and irritable and bossy and rude and quick-tempered and basically are being a grade-A jerk and then are we not going to expect to reap the results of all that negative behavior? Or can we try to? Or are we going to try and cancel it all out, asking God for a quick prayer to bless all of our actions? It doesn't work that way. Whatever we sow, Paul says, we reap. And we reap only what we sow every day. So make sure that you're sowing seeds in the right field if you want to reap the harvest of God's blessing. Here's principle number three. You reap far more than what you actually sow. Now this point is closely tied to the preceding one. You know an acorn is a tiny thing but it contains within itself a giant oak tree. The pumpkin seeds a small seed compared to the mass of pumpkin that it produces. The size of the seed does not determine the size of the harvest. That's why the text warns us on the negative side. It says, don't be misled. It's easy to deceive ourselves, but we can't escape the consequences of our actions. Sin always carries a high price tag. We cannot ignore God, and we dare not laugh in his face. When we think we're getting away with sin, God says, hey folks, judgment day's coming. And you sow to the wind, and you're going to reap a whirlwind. Some of us think that if no one really knows what we've done, we've escaped. If it's in the past, it's forgotten forever. Or we try to make it up by doing some good things, by being religious for a while. But we cannot avoid punishment. It's, God will not be mocked. Sin always leaves its mark in us and on us. We can shoot an arrow into the sky and repent while it's up in the air that doesn't stop the arrow from coming to the ground. Repentance pardons our sin, but it doesn't cancel the consequences. There's there's some good news here, though. You know, the devil pays off in compound interest, but so does God. And God's rewards far outweigh the pleasures of sin. If we keep sowing to the Spirit, Scripture says we will reap the harvest of godly character, of answered words, Prayer of uh, harmony with God, of uh, the blessings that come to the people who do the, and live for God. The, one of the choruses of an old hymn in our tradition says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You see, none of us will ever regret serving God. There are rich rewards in this life For serving God, but there are even more unimaginable rewards in the life to come. Here's principle number four. Reaping a godly harvest requires patience and persistence. Verse 9 says, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Anyone who's ever farmed for a living knows exactly what this verse means. You know, it's one thing for some of us to plant a few tomato plants in our backyard. It's something very different to plant 5,000 acres of wheat. Full-time farming is a year-round task. You start early, you work late, there's no end to the jobs that need done, and even in the winter, there's equipment to maintain and preparation to be made for the upcoming planting season. You don't get a harvest by accident. You can't treat it as a weekend hobby. If you want the harvest, you've got to work even when you feel like giving up. This week I ran across a a well-known quotation from Calvin Coolidge on the importance of persistence over the long haul, and he says this, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not, nothing is more common than unsuccessful men and women with great talent. Genius will not, unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. And it's true in the spiritual realm as well. Because we live in a fallen world and we deal constantly with fallen people, it's easy to get weary about all of that and say, hey, so what's the use? Sometimes we just need a little reality check, though, don't we? That life is hard, but we have to deal with it, don't we? People are jerks sometimes, but we have to love them anyway. Things don't always go as planned. We keep moving forward. People forget to say thank you. We help them out anyway. People are hard-hearted, but we share Christ anyway. Not all of our prayers get answered, but we keep praying. God doesn't do what we think he should do, but we trust him anyway. We may be scared sometimes and filled with fear, but we keep believing. Our friends may criticize us, but we're going to do the right thing anyway. Anyway. Do Do you sometimes feel like quitting? It's always too soon to quit. So we keep sowing, even if it's through tears and a weary heart. And in the end, the harvest finally comes in. Now at this point, I feel like I should insert a football illustration. You know, it is that time of year. I've already seen a a football game or two, and on television, the the preseason is on. But anybody a Chicago Bears fan in the audience? Wow, tough crowd. (laughs) Okay, Wow, okay. Chicago Bears fans will know this. Maybe some of the rest of you will remember this as well. One of the greatest running backs in NFL history, Walter Payton. Although he was just 5'10", 202 pounds, he set the all-time rushing record in the NFL, 16,726 yards during his 12-year career. Peyton carried the football over nine miles during that time. Now, if you divide that number by the number of times he ran the ball, you discover an amazing statistic. He was knocked down to the ground an average of every 4.4 yards of those nine miles, by somebody bigger than he was. He set the record because every time he was knocked down, he got up, and he ran the ball again. He kept getting up, and he kept getting up, and he kept getting getting up, and one of the most overlooked secrets of greatness is that we keep getting up. And we keep moving forward. When you're knocked down by discouragement, you don't stay down. You get up and you get back in the game for the glory of God. Great victories await people with great endurance. And that's really what God asks of us. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't grow weary. Keep it going. There will be a wonderful harvest to come. And that harvest will partly come in life here on earth and partly when we get to heaven. Principle number five. We must seize the opportunity before it disappears. Look at verse 10. Our passage comes to a very practical end with this word of application. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Now, the word opportunity here is a Greek word, uh, kairos, which is sometimes translated time. However, it is not a word that means the passing of hours one by one. It refers to those moments in life when there's a door of opportunity that opens to us and we have a choice to make. Will we go through that door or will we hesitate until it closes? We all have opportunities to do good if we'll take them. Every day there are moments we can say a word of encouragement to someone. There are times when we can get involved in solving somebody else's problem or helping them to solve a problem. But you know what, all of our involvement takes time. Will we take the time or will, will we let our personal schedule dictate whether or not we're gonna stop and listen and help someone? See, no door stays open forever. Opportunities come and they go. There was a sculptor who once had a studio and he brought a friend in friend said this is a very strange statue this is a figure of a man with hair completely covering his face and he had wings on each foot what's the name of the statue friend asked the sculptor replied his name is opportunity why is his face hidden because people seldom know when he comes to them why are there wings on his feet because he's soon gone and when he departs he cannot be overtaken See, we have many opportunities every day to serve God. It may involve teaching a Sunday school class, it may be reading at our ministry at Geyer Park, it may be praying for uh, the sick and uh, being a friendship minister, uh, visiting a shut-in, maybe leading a small group, maybe sharing Christ on a mission trip, maybe it's providing meals to the hungry, counseling people who are grieving, saving, helping a friend in their in their marriage, or giving money to somebody in need. You see, the list is endless because the needs of people are endless. And we need to seize the opportunity. Principle number six, we owe a debt to the whole world. Dr. George Washington Carver uh, said it this way, he said, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving and tolerant of the weak and strong because someday in life you will have been all of these See our calling is to do good to all people. We owe a debt to the world Paul said I have a great sense of obligation to people. He said that in Romans chapter 1 verse 14 Because of God's grace to us. We owe something to everyone the debt is to show kindness to do good wherever we can, however we can do it. And the greatest good we can do is to share the greatest news in the world, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a good thing to feed the hungry. It's a good thing to bind up the wounded. It's absolutely the right thing that we should do to help hurting people have a place to stay or rebuild their shattered lives. All of those things are great things, but if if that's all we do and we stop there and do no more, we have not yet met their greatest need, and that is to share Jesus with them. All of us need to hear the good news, that God loves us so much that he sent his son to the earth to die for us. People need to know that through the life and death of Jesus Christ, their sins can be forgiven and they have a eternal life as a free gift. So let's do the greatest good. Let's share Christ wherever we can share. Principle number seven, start with the needs closest to you. This is the last one, Paul's final instruction. We are under a special obligation to show kindness to those who are part of the family of God. And now, I interpret this kind of broadly, because our faith joins us to Christians everywhere. We have a sacred responsibility to do good to all Christ followers. And that certainly applies in the local church, but it reaches out into the community, into Christian ministries all over the world. On a more personal basis, it means having a godly concern for fellow believers in your own family, in your neighborhood, your small group, place where you work, where you go to school. Another way to say this, if we wanna sow good seed, there's a simple way to do it. We just start where we are. We start with the needs around us. We start with the people that we know, that we're in relationship with every week, every day, and then we open our eyes to wider horizons. Pray for God to give us open doors and ask God to give us more so we can do more for the Lord. Look around you. The needs are everywhere. There's an open door of opportunity for all of us. We can't meet all of those needs, but we can do something. Meeting the needs of other Christ followers sometimes involves financial giving. After all, if we don't support the Lord's work, who's going to do that? In our world today, there are many opportunities to give to disaster relief, to the Red Cross, to a a hundred other causes. And many of these are well-intentioned, good. We pray that the money we give will alleviate tremendous amounts of human suffering. But we also need to be giving to the people who labor in the name of Christ. We can't expect non-Christians to give to Christian enterprises. Sometimes they will. But Christian people need to support Christian ministries. In all my years of ministry, you know what? I've never, ever heard of one church that died because people gave too much. Have you? Anybody? Have you ever heard of one church that died because people were too generous? But I do know a lot of churches that have died because people in the congregation have given too little. It's impossible... Impossible to be over generous in the work of the Lord. We ought to be giving and giving and giving, why? Because when we give to God, we sow to the Spirit, and from the Spirit we reap a vast harvest. I know that some people may say this message reinforces the notion that Christians are nothing but a bunch of do-gooders. But I recall that in Acts chapter 10, Peter summarized the ministry of Jesus by saying that he went around doing good I suppose that being a do-gooder isn't such a bad compliment. The world would be a better place if we had more do-gooders. Personally, I'd rather be a do-gooder than a do-badder. How about you? For that matter, I'd rather be a do-gooder than a do-nothing-at-all person. A lot of people these days complain that the world's a dark place, but Jesus said, light a candle. Let your good deeds shine for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. The good things that we do, when done in Jesus' name, shine a light in the darkness and point people to God. I wonder how many of us this morning would say, you know what, I'm tired of living a mediocre life. I'm tired of coasting, I'm tired of half hearted serving without a real purpose. I'm Lots of people have found a reason for living that goes beyond making money and building a career and they've latched on to an eternal reality that others never discover. How many more crazy things have to happen in this world before the rest of us come to that same conclusion? This world is passing away. Those who live for the things of this world are building their lives on sand. They will come to an end. And life will not have eternal value. But it's time for the people of God to pay attention that life is short life is precious and we are to seek first the kingdom of God and start sowing to the spirit let me close today with these two questions that I asked you earlier what are you investing your life in what are you sowing how are you spending your time your energy your resources what are you sowing with your life And are you happy with the results? Are you happy with what you've been reaping? If the answer to the second question is no, what do you plan to do about it? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, so many of us have been sleepwalking through life, going through the motions, sowing to the flesh, frittering away our opportunities, ignoring the needs of people around us. And today we pray that you would just teach us to count our days, to Teach us to make our days count for you. Wake us up, Lord. Shake us up. Do whatever it takes to get our attention and help us to get busy living for you. We pray in Christ's name.